All right, Jesus' words, Matthew chapter 6. So last week we talked about forgiving others. When leaving church last week had two people say, I had to forgive. We had to have that conversation. We couldn't stand it any longer. I hope that you followed through with the Holy Spirit's leading you to be a forgiver. And the forgiven will forgive. We are to be marked by that. That needs to be something that people will explain us by. The forgiven will forgive. We will not hold grudges. We will not allow resentment to build. We will not allow bitterness to take hold of us. We are going to stomp it out. We are going to nip it in the bud. And so when you allow an unforgiving thought, an unforgiving spirit, when, when you allow unforgiveness to begin to, to settle in you, man, just get rid of it. Be a forgiver. And, and, and one reason that I think is, is enough to forgive, first of all, because Jesus said to, but, but understand, unforgiveness does not work. It doesn't work. It does not work. And, and I would be willing to wager that a huge number of the ills of mankind can be traced back to an act of unforgiveness. Uh, it breaks up families. It breaks up relationships. It, it causes harm in groups of people. Unforgiveness does not work. So we must forgive. And even when... Uh, we have had something, ex ex we've experienced something that's really, really painful, deep-seated hurt and pain. I mean, there's never a time that a believer doesn't have the power to forgive. And so when we use the reason, I just can't forgive because of this, man, Jesus will give you the power. And so if you struggle with unforgiveness or there's an issue that you're struggling forgiving, please let the Lord deal with you on that and, and be obedient and forgive. For, you may not feel like forgiving, but forgive. You, you, it may take a while for the emotional uh, healing to happen from an injustice or an offense that you've experienced, but man, you got to forgive. you got to forgive. The next thing Jesus talks about, Verse 16, Jesus says, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. One of my favorite uh, preachers of past day is a British evangelist by the name of Gypsy Smith. And if you get on Google and check him out, you will see the picture of Gypsy Smith on there, and you can find many, many of his articles and his writings. I, I came across Gypsy Smith many years ago, in a book where they listed many of his sermons, and I just enjoyed hearing what he had to say. But Gypsy Smith had one of those long handlebar mustaches, and the pictures that I've seen of Wyatt Earp, Gypsy Smith looked like Wyatt Earp, and he just had that going on. But Gypsy Smith preached in England, and he preached in America a lot, and he was 
not as famous as Dale Moody. He wasn't as famous as many of others that was preaching during those days. Uh, he wasn't a Spurgeon. It was nothing like that. But the Lord really used him. And he was, he was pretty abrasive. He was like real rough sandpaper, which I have been called many times your 80 grit sandpaper. Maybe so. But uh, I really got a kick out of him. He said one time, he said it many times in his services, he would go to a church and do the revival, laid back revival. Usually in the country, when everyone got their crops in, they had, they had a laid back time. And so what they would do, lay by. And, and so after the crops are in, oftentimes those country churches would have a two-week revival. Many had longer revivals because, uh, you know, that it was just an opportunity and people were there. And people didn't go on vacations back then like they do now. And, and they weren't so distracted with all the stuff that they would have available. So going to church at night for revival was as much as spiritual as it was social. People would gather together and they had dinner on the grounds and have watermelon and all those kind of things taking place. And so Gypsy Smith was often the preacher at some of those two-week revivals in the country. And he would often start out by saying, do you really want to see revival begin? And everybody, of course, replied, yes, yes, we want to see revival. Do you want to see revival begin? They would reply, yes, we want to see it. And he would say, then go back to your home and, and, and draw a circle around you on the floor. Then get down on your knees in the middle of the circle and ask God to convert, to change everybody inside that circle. And he said, when you do that and God answers you are experiencing the start of a revival. Something to think about, isn't it? Gypsy Smith was preaching in a country church, and a young teenager, young teenage boy, came up to him after the service and, and said to Reverend Smith, I want to know God like you know God. Gypsy said, come with me, young man. And so they walked outside the church and walked across the field and went down to a creek that was down there. And he said to the boy, he said, now get down on your knees with me. And the young boy got down on his knees with him. And he said, now bow to the water. And the young boy bowed to the water. And he said, get as close to the water as you can get. And the boy got even closer to the water. And he's down there. And Gypsy Smith grabbed him by the back of the head and pushed his head under the water. And, 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 the, and the boy was down there, and he's holding him there, and the boy starts, you know, gyrating a little bit, and he holds on to him down there, and, and bubbles start coming up, and Gypsy Smith just won't let go. And the boy finally begins to fight, and he begins to struggle, and he begins to try to, you know, knock Gypsy Smith off of him. And the, Gypsy Smith holds, that's a real good, I learned that in seminary, we need to do that. Need to hold people under the water longer. And, and he was holding him down there, and finally he let him up. And the boy just, ah, you know, gasped for air. And he said, what in the world are you doing? Are you trying to kill me? He said, no. He said, you won't know God like I know God until you crave God like you just did air. Gypsy Smith said, the way to Jesus is not by Cambridge in Oxford, Glasgow, Edinburgh, London, Princeton, Harvard, Sale, Socrates, Plato, Shakespeare, or the poets. It is over an old-fashioned hill called Calvary. 
So I talk, talk to you about Gypsy Smith today to say that he was singular focused. Jesus meant most of all to him. He understood that the ways of Christ is more important than any other ways. And fasting is one of the disciplines that we can use to be in that circle, to be on our knees down there with our head under the water, craving air, craving Jesus like we crave air, and to get so baptized by the one who died on the cross on Calvary. When you fast, when you fast. Now, the Bible never commands us to fast. The Bible, Jesus, just assumes we will because we will want to have more. We will want to experience more. We as believers will get to the point spiritually that we'll look at our lives and we will hunger for more than we have and we will hear about the results of fasting and we will give ourselves to an occasional fast. Verse 16, Jesus just says, when you fast. In verse 17, Jesus just says, when you fast. And so he's speaking to all the hearers here saying, when you fast, you're going to fast. It's going to be a natural process, just like walking and breathing and, 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 and taking in nourishment, just as you take in food for your body. You're going to, you're going to deny yourself of the physical, of the flesh, of the earthly for a spiritual tuning, a spiritual re-energizing, a spiritual renewal, even spiritual revival. Fasting is when we deny ourselves the normal, the needed, the addiction to renew our focus on the spiritual. I said addiction. We are created to be addicted to nourishment. We want food. Food takes care of our body. And, and we are also placed within us an addiction, a desire for the spiritual. Now, for us to suppress that desire, to refuse that desire, to reject that desire, to say no to that desire, it grieves the Holy Spirit, as we've already said. And we're just not as, as in tune with the things of the Lord we are just not engaged with him when we allow the Holy Spirit to come and speak and guide and nurture and, and energize us to a direction and lead us, and we suppress it and we reject it and we refuse it and we grab a hold of the world and, and, and the flesh and the things of this world. Fasting helps us break free. Fasting helps us to have a time where those things of the world, those things that have a hold of us, can be knocked loose, and we have a renewal opportunity in the Spirit of the Lord. We will fast, Jesus says. When the disciples couldn't cast out a demon, afterwards, they were very frustrated because Jesus just walks up, and Jesus just casts out the demon. And they were questioning Jesus, says, why couldn't we cast out that demon? And Jesus said, these kind can only come out by prayer, and many translations say, and fasting. 
Many translations leave that out. And so perhaps it was assumed that just as we pray for the power of the Lord to be released, we fast and pray for the power of the Lord to be released. I don't have a problem. I don't get all bogged down with what translations had the word fasting and what doesn't. I just see that it makes sense, doesn't it? It makes sense that the power would be released extra good, extra powerful, beyond us when we are rejecting the things of this world for the things of the Spirit. There are different kinds of fasts. Fasting from food. We fast for a meal. We fast for a day. We fast for a few days. We fast for a week. The time of fasting is not as crucial as the devotion that happens inside of us when we do fast. There are different kind of fasts. We, we oftentimes hear about the Daniel fast. We have conducted as a church the Daniel fast before. And if you read Daniel 1, you just find that, that Daniel was being uh, considered to be one of the leaders, one of the young men that would come along and, and, and would be part of the kingdom's work. And, and they were going to have the king's food and all that happened, and, and Daniel resisted. And for 21 days, he only took in water and vegetables. And at the end of those 21 days, he looked better than the others that had ribeye and ribs and good old barbecue. I'm sure they had barbecue in Nebuchadnezzar's <laughs> kingdom. He looked better. He felt better. He looked stronger. And so the 21 days of the Daniel fast is vegetables and water. That's it. That's a good fast to do to consider the renewal of your spirit inside, the reconnecting with God, getting back to the place of, of just simple obedience and just simple faith and trust in the Lord. We fast from things that distract. Today, we have added many things that I've heard people talking about. They, they practice Lent this time of year, those kind of things. And that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. But they fast from TV. They fast from phones. They fast from Netflix. I think it's a good idea today to fast from the news, which, you know, might help you a little bit. Don't fast from sports during, you know, March Madness. But as soon as it's over, go ahead and jump in. And so there are other ways that we can fast. We might need to fast from our phone, fast from the iPad, and those kind of things. So when you fast, the practice of fasting. Now, not just when you fast, but the instruction here is second in this. When you fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Don't fast to be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. So when we fast to look like we're really religious, when we fast with the idea, I'm going to fast so that I can show other people how spiritual I am. That's our reward, and it's not a good one. It's not a jackpot reward. It's not a good reward. Can, can you imagine I, I, when I see Jesus saying this, that when you do something to impress other people, that's a reward. That's not a good reward. Then why would we seek to impress other people to begin with? If impressing other people is not a good reward, then why do we get caught in that trap? 
And it is interesting here that Jesus here says that don't do it like the hypocrites do. The hypocrites are pretentious. They are pretentious people. The hypocrites, the religious people, they do things, they wear them clothes, they say those prayers, they do their giving in public. Jesus already talked about it in Matthew 6. Don't give to be seen. Don't pray to be seen. And here he says, don't fast to be seen. Don't do religious stuff so that other people will see you. That's not what we do. If you do that, that's a reward. And, and I put in there, not a good reward. I wish Jesus would have said that. Not a good reward, a foolish reward to seek after. Who cares what other people think should be our understanding? He says here, truly I say to you, they receive the word, their reward. Verse 70, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. Look like you've always looked. Don't look gloomy. Don't look, oh my, look at oh so-and-so, Sister Lou over there. Look at Sister Mary, Brother Ben. Look at them. They've been on a one-day fast. Look how hungry they look. Oh, what's wrong? Brother, I'm fasting. Oh, you need some Sonic. You need some food. You need some nourishment. Yes, I've denied myself today of food, and I've spent time with the Lord above. Pretentious. We are not to be Pretentious. We do not fast so other people will notice us. That's our reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. Unpretentious. Believers are to be unpretentious. We are not to live to be seen. We are not to live to impress others. Problems with people, struggles with man, struggle with the fear of man, struggles with what people think of you will always get in the way of what God is going to want you to do. Because when God wants you to do something, you're going to walk down a road, you're going to go on a journey, and there's going to be a time that people are going to think you're number one, crazy, number two, foolish, number three, insane to follow the Lord. And if you have trouble with what people think of you, you're going to fold back and not do what God wants you to do. You're going to fold back. And so understand that part of spiritual walk, part of that spiritual rejuvenation inside is it's between us and the Lord not to impress other people unpretentious. You know, you go to churches sometimes and everybody dresses alike. You go to churches sometimes and everybody puts on their finest clothes. You go to churches sometimes and everything is really sophisticated. Everything is really perfect. There are transitions in how they worship. Only certain people pray. I heard a preacher one time said, don't have any ugly people on stage. And I was sitting there go, well, that leaves you out, preacher. I mean, you're not really good looking. And I thought about it. If, if I said, from now on, only young people on stage, only pretty people on stage, where am I going to stand? I mean, is that even close to being, that's pretentious. Pretentious. We got to look good. We got to be seen good. We, you hear pretentiousness among God's people today and Jesus' people that, that talk about their church is better than everybody else's church. 
Their spirituality is higher than other people's spirituality. I've been told more than once, and I'm ashamed to tell you this, we're not ashamed, but this is the way it is, that said, Pastor Lee, we couldn't go to your church. Why? But we're just, you know, we just don't think that you can feed us, and we don't, your people are just not stimulating enough for us. Pretentious. That's not what Jesus wants. We don't ever live so that we can be seen. We can impress other people. We ain't here to impress anyone but one, and that's Jesus. Amen? That's how he wants us to pray. That's how he wants us to give. And that's how he wants us to fast. All for an audience of just one, only Jesus. Reasons to fast, to renew your focus and your faith. 21-day Daniel fast, we'll do that. A couple days with just water, we'll do that. No TV for a week, we'll do that. No TV for a month, we'll help with that. Fasting, denying yourself of something that has got a hold of you. What, what, and a, a way to begin to think about what you need to fast from is what keeps you from doing what the Lord wants the most. What occupies your time the most to draw closer to the Lord? Fasting for the right reason, unpretentiously, just to please Him, will help us draw closer to the Lord. Sure it will. We'll confess our sins. We'll repent of our sins. All the things, our palate will be cleansed, spiritually speaking, to get clear direction from the Lord. That's all over the Scripture. When the people needed direction, which way to go, how to do it, which, who to do it, there was a time of prayer and fasting. We fast to give an opportunity for the power of God to be unleashed in our lives. Now, why is it that after fasting and prayer, there's a release of his spirit, and, and he doesn't release his spirit sometimes until we fast and prayer? I have absolutely no clue why that is, but it is true. It is true. Every movement of God, every supernatural activity, anytime there's a real advancement in his kingdom, there is a group of Jesus people that are praying, and oftentimes they are fasting. They are fasting. If I have a prayer request that's really bothersome to me or needing me, I get Kyle to get the Cambodians to fast and pray. I get the Ugandans to fast and pray because it's part of their culture. It's part of their experience. It's not anything new. They just go without. And they just pray for that. And, and, and that's something that's missing from our discipline, isn't it? We don't have a lot of that going on. We need some of that going on. I don't know why God might not release his spirit until his people pray and fast, but I do understand and I do know that it is absolutely evident to me that God doesn't release his spiritual power and his, his strength until his people pray and fast. So we should do it. We should pray for a problem to be solved. We should pray and fast to fight Satan and his demons. Many can't be cast out by prayer alone, he said. Many require fasting and prayer. Many can't be cast out by our faith. I don't understand that, but that's in the Scripture. We need the Lord to go forward and bless that. We need our flesh to be subdued as a reason to fast and pray. 
We need God to show up in some area of our life. We need the unexplained to take place. And don't you want there to be that unexplained take place? That unexplained take place. Don't you want that? Don't you want to see that? And we need to pray and fast for revival to happen again. I say again because it's happened before. There's been Pentecost. What a deal that was. 3,000 were saved that first day. Then others were added to the body of Christ and it grew exponentially. There's been the Great Awakenings. There's been the Welsh Revival. There's been the Indonesian Revival in the 1950s. An unbelievable thing happened. Our missionaries, including Avery Willis, just went on a mountaintop to pray. And, and, and many of those missionaries in Indonesia had been there serving and serving and serving. And they didn't have a whole lot to show for their work. And so they gathered for a whole week or two up in the mountains and had a retreat and just prayed for God to work. They went, they left that retreat, went back to work, doing the exact same things they did before. And in a year's time, a million people came to Christ. Now, they did the same things they did before. What was the difference? God. God. And they say the reason why they believe it happened was they got together and they prayed and they fasted. And when they left that retreat center, things were different. The Jesus people movement that took place on our, on our beaches in the 60s, fascinating thing fascinating movement of God. They have tied the strings to the, to the love child movement that happened in Hayberry there in, in uh, uh, San Francisco. And it turned into a psychedelic drug use, but it began in people coming to Christ and experiencing him. Quite a deal happened there. The Azusa Pacific revival there in Los Angeles, unexplained. Nobody knows why it happened, how it happened. There's a university now as a result of that. But the Holy Spirit just came and moved among them. And the, the thing that was clearly evident in that group of believers was prayer and fasting. That's the common experience. And so when you read those things and when you hear Jesus saying, when you pray, don't do it pretentiously. When you pray, don't do it to be impress other people or to be seen by others. When you fast, do it solely for the Lord. When you give, unpretentious giving, he means it, doesn't he? And he will reward us accordingly. So when you fast, when you fast, do so without any pretentiousness whatsoever. And let's just see what the Lord does. Father, I pray, God, that you will be done in our lives. May we heed your words. May we understand, Father, what we are to do. And Lord, I just pray today that each one of us will seek your face. We will seek your ways. And Lord, that individually we will do what you ask us to do. And we'll just do that. Just simple obedience, just simple faith, simple trust in you. And I pray, Lord, that your will be done. Lord, as we now worship and as we now sing, pray your spirit would work. Your spirit will move. In Jesus' name, amen.